to grab a Bible. If you have your own, that'd be great. You can grab a Bible in the pew back in front of you as well. And uh, let's turn to the Old Testament book of Second Kings. Second Kings. So you can, uh, first five books of the Bible, right? And then you'll uh, find your Samuels. And then you will get into First and Second Kings. Second uh, Kings, starting in chapter 22, is where we're going to be as we wrap up our sermon series, uh, Sipping Salt Water, Finding Lasting Joy. Uh, in a world of thirst. This morning, taking a look at how we can sever our thirst for salt water. Second Kings chapter 22, and then we will work our way into chapter 23. Uh, pretty important that you have a Bible now, because we're going to be reading chapters 22 and most of 23 all at the same time together. And so have that scripture in front of you so you can follow along. Second uh, Kings 22. If you will, let's pray, and then we'll uh, dive into our sermon and into our scripture reading as well. So would you pray with me, church, please? Father, we are uh, so privileged. It is an honor for us to be here, uh, to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords, to be in your presence, and to be in the presence of your people, to enjoy good fellowship and conversations. It is good for us to lift our, our songs to you with great joy. I pray that it would have been a pleasing, arena, a pleasing aroma in your nostrils. And Father, it's good now to sit here with Bibles in our lap. Uh, we have this word that you have given to us. It is your inspiration. Inspired word, it is your authoritative word, it is your inerrant word, and it is a good, good word to us. We thank you that you speak to us. Father, in particular, we have enjoyed uh, several weeks together pondering um, the subject matter of idolatry and thinking about how you, through your Son Jesus, offers us uh, something infinitely better than the, the salt water that these idols um, offer us. And that is uh, the living water that we can have a, a relationship with you through faith in your son, Jesus. And then, Jesus, you give us the Holy Spirit, this, this living water welling up, springing up to eternal life. And we are so grateful for that. And Spirit, we ask even now that you would be among us, teaching us, uh, pointing us towards the Son and towards the Father. And we pray that they would be honored, and that you, God, would be honored in our time together. We ask it in Christ's name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Well, the year was 1982. And uh, one evening on the ABC Evening News, there was a, a report of a rather unusual work of modern art. Now, even saying that sounds kind of odd, because in my opinion, most modern art is unusual. But this one uh, is particularly unusual, and uh, I'll try to describe that piece of modern art to you. It was, essentially, is very simple. It was a chair, uh, an individual chair, so imagine that in your minds, a chair with a, uh, something very unusual attached to it. It was a chair with a shotgun attached to it. It was to be viewed, this piece of art, by sitting in the chair and looking directly into the barrel of the gun. Unusual indeed. See, uh, it gets even better because this particular piece of art, this shotgun, was loaded. The shotgun was loaded, and to make it even more interesting, it was set on a timer to go off, to fire at an undetermined moment within the next 100 years. So just ponder that. Within the next 100 years, this thing was to go off. Now, the amazing thing to me was that people waited in lines to observe and to sit in the chair and to stare uh, in the, the barrel 
of this gun right in the shell's path. See, they knew, of course, that the gun could go off at point-blank range at any moment. And, of course, they were gambling that the fatal blast wouldn't happen during their minute in the chair. Who among you would sit in that? Not me. While there are people who wouldn't dream of doing that, right? We, most of us probably wouldn't take that risk. We wouldn't dream of playing with a deadly weapon. Friends, many of us do this in the spiritual arena. Play around with deadly Are we back? Am I back? Can you hear me? Wonderful. The Bible calls them idols. And so, friends, my hope and my prayer during this uh, time of uh, sermons where we've been investigating uh, what the Bible has to say about idolatry, that we have had our eyes opened to the spiritually uh, devastating effect that idolatry can bring and the spiritual dehydration that it can cause in our lives. And my, my prayer is that through this time we have tuned and turned our hearts towards Jesus, the living water, in place of the salt water that we so frequently drink from. And so the question that I want to close this sermon series with is this. um, How can we sever the taste of salt water in our mouths, so to speak? How can we destroy the idols that we so frequently set up in our hearts? I think we find some help in this Old Testament story out of 2 Kings chapter 22 and into 23. We, We find help from a man whose name is Josiah. His name is Josiah and his kingship And his accomplishments are found in 2 Kings 22 through 23. Now, at this point in the text, let me just catch us up uh, in the story, if you will. We find ourselves in a period of history for for the people of God that is rather bleak. See, the northern kingdom of Israel had already been defeated and exiled into Assyria. And now the southern kingdom of Judah, over which Uh, Josiah reigns and rules, has endured a string of evil kings. Uh, And so Josiah comes on the scene, and it is spiritually bleak and dark for God's people. Now what we're going to see here, I think, is a five-step progression that Josiah led the people of God in that informs us how we too can root out and identify and destroy the idols both in our culture and in our lives. If you will, how we can sever the, the, the taste of salt water from our lips. Five steps, and they're represented by five R words, if you will. We rediscover, we repent, we remove, we renew, and we replace. Five R's. We rediscover, repent, remove, renew, and replace. Let's begin, if, we, if you will, in chapter 22. And I'd like to read the story as a whole. So this will be a bit of a longer scripture reading than what we're used to. The guys back there, uh, I think, are going to cue it up for us. And we are going to hear um, a, a dramatic scripture reading from 2 Kings chapter 22 into chapter 23. So I hope you have your Bibles open. Let's follow along, hear the story, uh, look for these five steps, and then we will discover how we too, can uh, root out idols in our lives. Go ahead, guys. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. His mother's name was Jedidah, daughter of Adaiah. She was from Bozkath. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. 
In the eighteenth year of his reign, King Josiah sent the secretary, Shaphan, son of Azaliah, the son of Meshullam, to the temple of the Lord. He said, Go up to Hilkiah the high priest, and have him get ready the money that has been brought into the temple of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have collected from the people. Have them entrust it to the men appointed to supervise the work on the temple, and have these men pay the workers who repair the temple of the Lord, the carpenters, the builders, and the masons. Also have them purchase timber and dressed stone to repair the temple. But they need not account for the money entrusted to them, because they are honest in their dealings. Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. He gave it to Shaphan, who read it. Then Shaphan the secretary went to the king and reported to him, Your officials have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord, and have entrusted it to the workers and supervisors at the temple. Then Shaphan the secretary informed the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. He gave these orders to Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam son of Shaphan, Akbor son of Micaiah, Shaphan the secretary, and Isaiah the king's attendant. Go, and inquire of the Lord for me, and for the people, and for all Judah, about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us, because those who have gone before us have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam, Akbor, Shaphan, and Isaiah went to speak to the prophet Huldah, who is the wife of Shalom, son of Tikvah, the son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. She lived in Jerusalem in the new quarter. She said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Tell the man who sent you to me, This is what the Lord says. I am going to bring disaster on this place and its people, according to everything written in the book the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me, and burned incense to other gods, and aroused my anger by all the idols their hands have made. My anger will burn against this place, and will not be quenched. Tell the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you heard, because your heart was responsive. And you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I have spoken against this place and its people, that they would become a curse and be laid waste. And because you tore your robes and wept in my presence, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, I will gather you to your ancestors, and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I am going to bring on this place. So they took her answer back to the king. Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets, all the people from the least to the greatest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by the pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, statutes, and decrees with all his heart and all his soul thus confirming the words of the covenant written in this book. Then all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. The king ordered Hilkiah the high priest, the priests next in rank, and the doorkeepers to remove from the temple of the Lord all the articles made for Baal and Asherah and all the starry hosts. He burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron Valley and took the ashes to Bethel. 
he did away with the idolatrous priests appointed by the kings of Judah to burn incense on the high places of the towns of Judah and on those around Jerusalem, those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun and moon, to the constellations, and to all the starry hosts. He took the Asherah pole from the temple of the Lord to the Kidron Valley outside Jerusalem and burned it there. He ground it to powder and scattered the dust over the graves of the common people. He also tore down the quarters of the male shrine prostitutes that were in the temple of the Lord, the quarters where women did weaving for Asherah. Josiah brought all the priests from the towns of Judah and desecrated the high places, from Geba to Beersheba, where the priests had burned incense. He broke down the gateway at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the city governor, which was on the left of the city gate. Although the priests of the high places did not serve at the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, they ate unleavened bread with their fellow priests. He desecrated Topheth, which was in the valley of Ben-Hinnom, so no one could use it to sacrifice their son or daughter in the fire to Molech. He removed from the entrance to the temple of the Lord the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun. They were in the court near the room of an official named Nathan Melech. Josiah then burned the chariots dedicated to the sun. He pulled down the altars the kings of Judah had erected on the roof near the upper room of Ahaz, and the altars Manasseh had built in the two courts of the temple of the Lord. He removed them from there, smashed them to pieces, and threw the rubble into the Kidron Valley. The king also desecrated the high places that were east of Jerusalem, on the south of the hill of corruption, the ones Solomon, king of Israel, had built for Ashtoreth, the vile goddess of the Sidonians, for Chemosh, the vile god of Moab, and for Molech, the detestable god of the people of Ammon. Josiah smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles, and covered the sites with human bones. Even the altar at Bethel, the high place made by Jeroboam son of Nebat, who had caused Israel to sin, even that altar and high place he demolished. He burned the high place and ground it to powder, and burned the Asherah pole also. Then Josiah looked around, and when he saw the tombs that were there on the hillside, he had the bones removed from them and burned on the altar to defile it, in accordance with the word of the Lord proclaimed by the man of God who foretold these things. The king asked, What is that tombstone I see? The people of the city said, It marks the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and pronounced against the altar of Bethel the very things you have done to it. Leave it alone, he said. Don't let anyone disturb his bones. So they spared his bones and those of the prophet who had come from Samaria. Just as he had done at Bethel, Josiah removed all the shrines at the high places that the kings of Israel had built in the towns of Samaria and that had aroused the Lord's anger. Josiah slaughtered all the priests of those high places on the altars and burned human bones on them. Then he went back to Jerusalem. The king gave this order to all the people, Celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God, as it is written in this book of the covenant. Neither in the days of the judges who led Israel, nor in the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah, had any such Passover been observed. But in the eighteenth year of King Josiah, this Passover was celebrated to the Lord in Jerusalem. Okay, that is a reading of God's holy word. So, here in these texts, I think we see five pretty distinct uh, steps, if you will, to fight idolatry in our hearts and in our world. The first step is to rediscover. We see it in verses 1 through 10 of chapter 22. If you have your Bible, you can take a peek there. Chapter 22, verses 1 through 10. We simply must rediscover 
God's perspective on idolatry. In these opening verses, we are introduced to young King Josiah, are we not? He was anointed king at the ripe old age of how old? Eight years old, right? An eight-year-old king. Sounds like a great way uh, to begin. However, he turned out to be pretty good, right? So what follows then is how Josiah uh, quite literally discovered the Bible. The Bible had been lost among God's people. And so he uh, begins this temple uh, rebuilding, cleanup project, if you will. And in the midst of that, they find the Old Testament. In God's providence, as he sets out to repair the temple, he finds the Bible, he stumbles into it, he reads it, and he is struck to the core as a king because God's people had been starved of the Word of God for so long that when he read the Bible, he's like, I've never read this before, right? And he's the king. See, the people of God had been starved of the word of God. And as a result, they had lost all perspective on what God desired for them and what he demanded from them, including what God said about idolatry. So the first step for Josiah and the nation in destroying the idols that ravaged the people of God was to rediscover what God said about idolatry. And friends, that's our first step as well. My prayer for this series is that God has spoken to your heart about what idols are in your heart and what idols are in, is in my heart. David Paulison, in his book, Idols of the Heart, says on the significance of rediscovering God's perspective on idols, and I quote, that most basic question which God poses to every human heart, to mine and to yours, has something or someone besides Jesus the Christ taken title of your heart's functional trust, preoccupation, loyalty, service, fear, and delight? He says questions bring some people's idols to the surface. Questions like, to whom or what Do you look for for life-sustaining security and acceptance? What do you really want or expect out of life? What would really make you happy in your mind's eyes? What would make you an acceptable person? Where where do you look for power and success? He says these questions and, and similar ones like these tease out whether we serve God or idols, whether we look for salvation from Christ or from false saviors. And my friends, we've mentioned about seven or eight different idols that are common, uh, but our heart Uh, as Martin Luther said, is an idol factory. And so there can be innumerable idols. And my prayer for us is that we begin to do some really uh, hard digging and and investigation in our heart to begin to identify the idols in our heart, to to see God's perspective on them. But that's not enough. See, not only did Josiah rediscover God's perspective on idols, but what we see in verses 11 through 20 in chapter 22 is that, quite simply, he repented of them. He repented of the idols in his own land. See, we read, starting in verse 11, that what was his response to hearing God's perspective on idolatry? Well, he tore his clothes, which was an outward sign of an inward grief over his and his people's sin. His words make it very clear that he had a heart of repentance. He recognized that that God was rightly angry at his people for their idolatry. He sought God's direction, did he not? He wanted to know what he should do. So he calls the prophetess who told him that God had saw his humble and repentant heart, that he wouldn't be part 
of the exile. So friends, when we discover God's perspective on idolatry, and I pray we've done that over the weeks uh, that we've spent together, that should then lead us to a repentant heart as it did for Josiah. So here's the question that I think I've been asking myself this week and we should ask ourselves as well. Has that been the case for us over the past few weeks? Are we as broken over the idols in our hearts as Josiah was broken over the idols in the land of Israel? I mean a deep, heartfelt cry out to God, a recognition of our, of our idols. Friends, I don't know about you, but over the past few weeks as I've read and prepared and delivered these sermons, God has revealed afresh uh, the idols that I worship in my heart. And I pray that my response is like Josiah's, that I would recognize them and cry out to God, God, I don't, wor- t- I, I don't want to worship that, right? I want to worship you. So friends, have we been doing this week after week? In this sermon series, I I pray that we have been. Uh, A few weeks ago, my two-year-old was in the process of potty training. And uh, he does pretty well for the most part. But occasionally, you know, we have, we have an accident. And so I saw him playing the other day. And he was, he was just playing with his trucks. And all of a sudden, he stood up and he just sort of stopped. And he became very still. And he began staring off into space. And I thought to myself, I know what's happening here. And so I said, Deborah, are you pooping? No. And so I, I get a little closer and, I, and I, I smell a little bit. And of course I smell something rotten. And I said, Deborah, are you pooping? No. And I, I feel his, his, his rear end and there's, there's definitely something there. And I said, Deborah, are you pooping? No. Because he was busy playing. He didn't want to be interrupted for something as inconvenient as, as going to the restroom. Friends, I wonder if that's sort of what we've been doing here. I pray we haven't been doing that here in this room week after week. If we, as we've been exposed to the, the various idols that can be lurking in our heart. And if God is knocking on the door of your heart and saying, that that's something you struggle with. This could be an idol in your heart. And you're just looking and listening and saying, nope, nope, nope. No idols here, friends. We have to rediscover God's perspective on idols. We have to repent of those idols. And third, take a look at chapter 23, if you will. We need to renew. We need to renew our commitment, that is, to to worship God. Because God's people had rediscovered the law, and and they had repented of their idolatry. And then what we see, starting in chapter 3, is that Josiah leads the people in renewing their covenant commitment to God. To worship Him alone, and to not worship idols. We notice that in verses 1 through 3. A few things to point out. Notice that Josiah didn't wait for the temple to be reconstructed, right? They were in the, they were in the midst of sort of a revitalizing worship in the nation, and this word of God had been discovered. He didn't wait for the temple to be nice and pretty to lead the people of God to renew their covenant commitment. It, it, it could not wait. Notice also that he, he, he gathers the people together, does he not? And did you notice who came to this gathering? It was the highest of the highs and the lowest of the lows, if you will. Everybody, all of God's people came together because no one was not guilty of idol worship. Everyone needed to come because everybody had been worshiping a whole host of idols. In addition, what did he do? He got the word of God, which had been newly rediscovered, and he read it to the people. Most likely, uh, the book of the law refers to the first five books of the Old Testament, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, 
uh, Numbers and, what's that first one? Deuteronomy, yeah, Deuteronomy. And he, he, he read all five books of the Bible in the hearing of all the people. It had to take quite some time. Friends, I wonder if I came to church on a Sunday morning and said, open your Bibles, we're reading all five books, and the first uh, five books of the Bible. What would the crowd be like when I was done? I, I don't know. Um, but they stayed. They had a hunger for the Word of God. The king himself read these words. Because they were renewing their covenant with their God. This is the natural progression of, to, of true repentance. Because true repentance doesn't just look at sin, doesn't just look at idolatry and feel bad or feel sorry for oneself. No, true repentance, godly sorrow, leads then to um, a, a turning away from sin and idolatry and back towards commitment and covenant relationship with God. So, Friends, will you and will I, will, 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 will I, having now rediscovered and, and, and I pray have a repentant heart of our sins, then we, will we turn back to God and say, God, I, I, want, I want you, I want to, to recommit myself, if you will, to you. So we've seen three steps. There was a rediscovery. There was a repentance. There was a renewal. And then starting in verse 4 and running into verse 20, there is a removal. This took quite a bit of time to read, and there were lots of funny names of pagan deities uh, that, that were destroyed. But did, did you notice uh, that section? It was ripe with destruction, right? I mean, things were cut down, things were chopped into, things were, were pulled over, they were destroyed, right? And so what we see is this fourth step, is that it's not enough to rediscover God's perspective on idols. It's not enough to have a repentant heart. It's not enough simply to renew our commitment to God. Because what remained in the land? What, what, what remained in the land? There were idols everywhere. And the king knew that if those idols weren't removed, that the people would most likely return to worshiping them. And so he went on a bit of a rampage. Did he not? He, 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 he went crazy. He destroyed all of these things. If God was to be worshipped, then idols had to be removed. Pastor Chuck Swindoll, maybe you've heard of him before, one-time chancellor of Dallas Seminary, pastor uh, there in Dallas. Um, He told a story once, and I recall it. um, He told a story of one day that he was preaching a sermon. And he was preaching a sermon on commitment and priorities and the necessity of having God's commitments and God's priorities first in our, in our lives rather than our own sort of self-centered priorities. And he, he went on to, to tell the story of as he was preaching, uh, like I am now, that there was a, a friend, uh, a person he knew, a part of a member of his church that was sort of sitting in the front row as he always did. And as Swindoll was preaching, he noticed this guy was squirming, just wiggling a lot. And he knew why. See, he had a relationship with him. And he, he had even had conversations with Pastor Chuck because this gentleman was, was wrestling with whether or not to buy a boat. He, he really wanted to buy a boat. but And he sensed that well, this is what God wants. But his wife, well, his wife had another sense of God's call. And so they were in disagreement. And so they went to the pastor and talked to the pastor. And so he knew that this was probably what was going on in his mind. And so, in Chuck's words, he, he was pleased with that. And so after the sermon, the gentleman approached him and he said, Pastor, I really know what I should do now. And of course, Chuck is thinking, yeah, I know what's going on. He's, he's going to say no to the boat because... 
Well, that's what I, I think should be done. And this, this gentleman says, no, I, I really know what I should do now. God's, God's been speaking to me through you. And of course, Swindoll was, was pleased with that. And the man said, it's clear to me now. I should buy the boat and start a Sunday school class on the boat. <laughs> Friends, I think we do this sometimes as well. Uh, we want to be committed to God, but we sort of want to keep our idols around as well. And so what we see here in verses 4 through 20 is that that is not an option. To worship God is to rid ourselves of idols. To rid ourselves of idols is necessary to worship God. And so that happened. But there's an all-important fifth step, and it starts in verse 21, and it runs through verse 23. Take a look there in your text, if you will. It's an all-important step. God's perspective had been rediscovered. The people had repented. They had renewed their commitment to worship God and God alone. And even the idols had been removed. And so it seems like a uh, job well done, right? Check, we can sort of move on with our life, right? Well, wrong. Josiah knew that. Since idolatry at its root is worship gone wrong, and since we are always inevitably worshiping something or someone, they and we must replace our idols with the worship of God. They had to replace their idols with the worship of God. Josiah realized that, and so what does he do in verse 21? He commands that the people um, remember and participate in the feast of the Passover. The feast of the Passover. He leads them in corporate worship. Now, what was the Passover all about? The Passover was, uh, was the oldest feast in the nation of Israel. It uh, was a, a celebration and a remembrance of God's redeeming work to save his people out of slavery in the land of Egypt. And then his leading them into the promised land. So what was he doing here? Why did he say now is the time to remember this feast, to celebrate this festival? See, by recalling for the people the central redemptive act of God on their behalf, his mighty deliverance of them uh, through grace, by faith, Josiah was attempting to get at the people's hearts. This is what Josiah was doing. He was trying to pull at their heartstrings, if you will. He was trying to stir up their affections for God. How? By having them remember his goodness to them, his grace, his mercy, and his love for them. In short, he was trying to replace the idols that lingered in the hearts of the people with the worship of a good and faithful and kind God. See, it's not just... It's not enough just to remove the idols in our hearts and in our lives. Uh, We should do that. We should take practical steps to do that. But, But we must replace then those idols and our worship of them with a love and a worship of a superior God, a superior object of affection, a superior worship, if you will. Pastor Tim Keller, in his wonderful book, Counterfeit Gods, hits it on the head when he says this. He says, we must, quote, begin to realize that idols simply cannot be removed. They must be replaced. If you only try to uproot them, they grow back like weeds. But they can be supplanted. By what, Keller asks? By God himself, of course. What we need, he writes, is a living encounter with God. 
Idolatry cannot be remedied only by repenting that you have an idol or, or using your willpower to try to live differently. Jesus must become more beautiful in your imagination, more attractive to your heart than your idol. Friend, let me say that again because it's the root of what he's saying. Jesus must become more beautiful in our imaginations and more attractive to us in our hearts than those idols. That is what will replace, he says, your counterfeit gods. If you uproot the idol and fail to plant the love of Christ in its place, that idol will grow back. Friends, we must not only remove our idols, but we must replace our idols with the worship of God. So here's how I'd like to close our time today. I want us to close not only our sermon today, but our whole entire sermon series with a song of confession, a song of dedication, a song that says we we want to lay down the idols of our hearts and of our lives and reserve that place for God and God alone. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. Then I'll ask you to stand and sing this song as we close our sermon series, uh, asking that, that, um, that God would be uppermost in our affections and in our hearts. So would you pray with me now as the worship team comes forward? Father, we are so grateful for the time that we've had together pondering this very large theme in your word. Um, Quite literally, um, idolatry runs the gamut of the scriptures, and you have much to say because you care about the worship that you receive from us because it is good for us to have unreserved and un. Um, unhindered, unmixed worship of you. So I pray, Father, even now in my own heart and in my own life, that, you, that in the life of this people, that you would reveal to us the idols of our hearts, that then we would um, repent of those idols in mourning and in grief, and that we would then renew our worship of you, replacing the idols in our lives with the worship of you. So, Father, be well-pleased with our efforts here and be well-pleased with our songs. We thank you for your kindness and for your grace and that you are altogether good and worthy of our worship. We ask it in Christ's name and God's people said, amen. Church, let's stand.